This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at the BatmanUniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hi, my name is Peter Tomasi. Hi, this is James Hyman IV. Hi, I'm Dan Jordan. Hey, I'm Duff Lloyd. This is Jim Lee. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Mark Hamill speaking. This is Kevin Conroy. This is Tim Sale. Hello, everyone. I'm Batman, and you're listening to my podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, Season 13, Episode 23. This is the penultimate episode of the season, of the year. And I am your host, Ian. And this is Steph. And this is Theo. And we've got a lot to cover, even though I've trimmed down a lot of what we're doing. Uh, because <laughs> last month uh, was a five-issue month, and they had a billion annuals. So I had to select <laughs> from annuals and a Gotham Villains Anniversary Special and the end of Fear State. So we've got a bunch of reviews. But before that, let me get to the news really quickly. First, um, solicitations for March 2022 aren't out yet. They will be out this Friday is the promise. And they've been doing their big announcements sort of to separate uh, the things they want to promote out so that everything isn't all covered at once on Friday. So the first thing they announced was Shadow War, which is something they've been teasing for quite a while. Joshua Williamson is writing this entire event. Um, it is the crossover between Batman, Robin, and Deathstroke Incorporated. It's also going to have a Shadow War Alpha and Shadow War Omega issue similar to fear state and similar to joker war is going to have a shadow war zone anthology issue that's probably going to have a couple more writers other than jess williamson but he probably will write one similar to how uh, james tynan wrote his thing um it's going to be a technically a two-month event but it's going to have like lead-in issues in robin and deathstroke inc in march which is why they're announcing it and there's an amazing Dan Mora variant for the Shadow War Alpha. And it's an incentive. It's a 1 in 50, which means if you want to buy it, you're going to spend like 50 bucks for it. So I'm kind of oh, annoyed goodness. about that. Uh, but this looks fun. I'm I'm kind of excited that they're doing, you know, Josh Williamson doing all these crossovers. I mean, if you're writing all the titles, why not do a crossover, you know? So uh, any comments? I'm sad. Like, Robin has made me like Roz. Like, he's a cool... (laughs) The reason that that Steph is saying this is that because before we recorded, I told her my prediction is that Deathstroke is going to kill Roz. Yeah, and if that's true, I like Roz now. He's kind of like a hot grandpa now. And I (laughs) I knew you were going to throw that out there. You were going (laughs) to bring out a hot-looking grandpa Roz. Well, he's also, like, so chill, and, like, Damien can talk to him without... Roz being like, you are the future and you need to kill you. Oh, to, to, say, to say he's a grandpa, he looks like he could be in his 40s. Yeah, 40-year-old like, grandpas. He's got the distinguished no, professor no. on a holiday look. And yeah, but then, but then outside of this, he looked like he was 70. 
Yeah, well, well whatever. Clearly, he had a dip in a Lazarus pit yeah. between now and then. Yeah. Yeah, so Steph is upset now because <laughs> there's a possibility that hot Grandpa Bod Roth is going to kick the bucket and there won't be a Lazarus pit to save him. I still think the Nain pit needs to be used. Come on, guys. The what? The Nain pit. The Lazarus pit in Tom King's run where it works. You Someone has to die for someone to be raised from the dead. So it's like Mm -hmm. an exchange pit. All right. Lazarus juice. (laughs) Raz juice. Raz juice. (laughs) All right. They have another event happening in March called The War for Earth 3. This is a crossover between Suicide Squad, um, Teen Titans Academy, and uh, Flash. Flash. It's going to be written by the guy who's writing Suicide Squad, which is Robbie Thompson, and he's joined by co-writer Dennis Hopeless. Oh. I really like Dennis Hopeless, so I think that's kind of cool. Um a sad name. <laughs> well, it's a pen name. He chose it when he was an edgy uh, 20-year-old. <laughs> and this is going to be five issues, one every week of March. Three issues of the crossover titles, and then a War for Earth 3-1 and War for Earth 3-2. Don't know why they're not doing the Alpha and Omega, because that seems to be their thing, but apparently DC decided to be the Fast and Furious franchise and title everything differently. And the only reason we're including this is because Nightwing and the Talon are featured heavily in the solicits for this. So I don't know if those are alternate universe, but it does have a Bat Family connection. And Talon is everybody's favorite. I don't even know which Talon this is. I think it's Nightwing's grandfather, Vet Talon, but I don't know for sure. Um, and lastly, last big thing that we had, um, this is recorded on a Tuesday, is Batman Superman world's finest an ongoing written by mark wade illustrated at least it's uh starting to be illustrated by dan mora i'm sure he'll be off in a year but he did last on detective comics longer than i thought he would and they have amazing variant covers like they have got a bunch of uh, dan mora like a couple of those and there's some joke covers of you know batman slapping superman and superman slapping batman in the classic batman slapping robin meme um but the ones i'm really excited about is there is a uh, Kara, Supergirl, and yes. uh, Stephanie Brown, Batgirl by Art Germ, yes. world's finest, so beautiful. Um, and there's also a Lee Weeks uh, variant cover, which is Cyborg Superman and Azrael, and that is just like <laughs> the team up everybody didn't know they wanted. It's so cool looking. Uh, that is the team I still don't want. So yeah, <laughs> um, no, man, I am, I'm, I'm the only Azrael fan in the world. Yeah, I am definitely getting that. That art germ. I mean, it just oh, yeah. Come on. it just it's reminds so me so much of those uh, covers he did back on the back on the Batgirl run back when he yeah. did some covers with her and uh, her and Kara. That was just love it, love it, love it. And the first story is supposed to be a flashback story involving uh, Superman getting kryptonite poisoning and the Doom Patrol. So that'll be kind of sounds like wacky Silver Age type fun. All right. That is our news. I'm sure there'll be more news um, when solicits drop. But my bet is that there won't be a lot of Batman stuff because we'll still be coming to the end. Well, no. Uh, So we'll be coming to the end of Shadows of the Bat in March. But it sounds like Josh Williamson's going to be on Batman at least until the end of June because he's writing this event that's going to be March, April, June. No, sorry. March, April, May. So he might be off 
in June. We don't know yet, but we won't find out for quite a while. So our the Josh Williamson question, who's going to write Batman after Josh Williamson, is still very much in the air. And that'll be something to think about because we're reviewing the first issue of his run today. But before we do that, we are going to review Detective Comics Annual number 1 of 2021. They have this weird new naming convention that I don't like, but... Detective Comics 2021 Annual number 1, written by Mariko Tamaki and Matthew Rosenberg, with art by David Lapham. In the past, Bruce Wayne enjoys a huge ice cream sundae while spending the day with his parents. As they leave the diner, a man jumping from a window of a blood bank above the diner startles them. As he lands on the ground, knife in hand, he stares at the youngest member of the Wayne family, oblivious to the giant piece of glass falling towards him. It tears his arm from his body. As the man lay bleeding out, Thomas Wayne goes into doctor mode and attempts to save the dying man. Cops are of no help as they're willing to let the man die for the crimes he committed in the blood bank. Bruce's last image as his mother pulls him away is of the injured man staring at him with a deranged smirk on his face. Later that night, Thomas Wayne returns home to find his young son still waiting on him. The doctor tells his son that he was able to save the disturbed man from meeting his end. Despite the atrocities the man committed, Thomas tells Bruce that as a doctor, he's required to save him. You save the victim in front of you. In the present, Lucius Fox is meeting with a group of developers, pitching the idea of a new Arkham to properly treat the mentally ill of Gotham City. Arkham Asylum is the past, a medieval form of treatment. The project they're presenting would revolutionize mental health treatment. Those who truly need help would finally receive it. Lucius commends their efforts, but as he looks through the presentation, running across the file of Peter Faust, the man Thomas Wayne saved decades earlier, he cautions them what they could be facing from, with opposition from the citizens of Gotham who have suffered at the hands of former asylum inhabitants. Lucius thanked the developers for visiting. In the Batcave, Batman and Nightwing go over the details of a case. As they do so, Batman makes a connection with the man his dad once saved. As they go out in search of this new murderer killing in the name of sacred blood, Batman brings a tool in which he hopes will help find the unknown villain before the villain strikes again. While waiting, Nightwing questions whether what they're doing, drawing rogues into Arkham Asylum, actually works or makes matters worse for the individuals they place there. Bruce counters by saying their job is not to save those that they capture, it's to protect the citizens of Gotham. Treat the patient in front of you, he remembers. Suddenly a ping, the device picks up the evidence of the murderer's presence. It traces the man to Reservoir Park, where a citizen finishes up his evening run. Suddenly, a hooded, man, a hooded man appears from the darkness with wings made of bones, chicken bones. The would-be attacker catches the fleeing man, and as he goes to stab the runner with a large sacrificial blade, Batman and Nightwing stops him. Nightwing attempts subduing the knife-welding man by talking to him. Batman, however, has a flashback and realizes the man is the son of Peter Faust. He takes the man out with a kick to the to the grin to the chagrin 
of his first protege. Nightwing hands the younger Foss over to the police. As they drive off, there's an explosion. By the time Nightwing makes it to the burning car, he finds that Faust is gone. As the young Faust wakes up, he finds himself amongst Gotham's forgotten. He's safe with them, as they want him to continue doing the things he's been doing around the city. His mission will make the citizens of Gotham City remember those they have forgotten. Batman and Nightwing sit on top of Crunchy's famous fried chicken. As Nightwing enjoys his bucket of chicken, Batman reveals that this is the place where Peter Faust finds the bones to make his wings. Batman doesn't know exactly how he retrieves those bones, as Faust doesn't show up on any of the surveillance videos in recent months. Nightwing, however, figures he, will find, he finds the bones by rummaging through the dumpster behind the building. There, he finds a homeless woman looking for food. He asks her for help in finding Peter, promising that he wouldn't hurt him. Faust has another victim, draining his blood as the victim is tied to a pole. As Faust attempts recreating his wings of bones, he's stopped by Batman and Nightwing. Nightwing attempts to calm the man down, but fails as the meager man jumps from the window, wearing his wings of bone. As he falls to a certain death, Nightwing jumps after him, and Batman catches them both with his line. At the hospital, Nightwing speaks with the doctor, the woman who was speaking to Lucius Fox earlier, about Faust's status. She promises him that he will get the help that he needs. Officers around laugh it off, claiming that Faust will find his help in prison. This frustrates Nightwing, who claims that such attitudes are part of the problem, leaving people sent to prison worse off if they're ever let out. They have words before the cops remind Nightwing of Nakano's orders against masks in Gotham. As Nightwing turns to leave, he welcomes the officers to try to stop him. As Nightwing prepares to get on an elevator, he's approached by Dr. Chase Meridian. She's a psychiatrist who's working on the new Gotham Tower project. She expresses a gratitude for the words he exchanged and promised the new project will reclaim the legacy of the Arkham name as they change the approach to mental health in Gotham. She'll make sure that people become Peter becomes one of the first patients when the new hospital opens its doors. Outside the hospital, Nightwing meets Bruce. They discuss the recent events. As they look upon the new tower rising in the middle of the city, Bruce thanks Dick for reminding him of what his father really taught him decades ago. Do what you can and hope it's enough. Save the patient in front of you. So this was a very meaty annual, I would say. <clears throat> Had a lot of content about um, Bruce Wayne as a child with his father and as an adult, as a father figure himself to Nightwing. A lot of great parallels. There's a lot of writing. There's a lot of thought. And this is by Margaret Tamaki and Matthew Rosenberg. And I don't know who wrote what sections. And that's and that's a good thing because usually yeah. when it's disjointed, you could easily tell who who's writing what. But this you really couldn't. It was it flowed very well. Yeah. 
So my first question is, what do you think of the story's question? Is it worth saving those who hurt other people? Mm. Well, I don't think that is the correct question because as a vigilante, Batman has no business whatsoever being judge, jury, and executioner. And so whether it's right or wrong has nothing to do with it. Yes, it is it is probably the right way, right thing to, to save people. Yes, people have a point when they say Joker should have been executed a long time ago, but that's a failing of the justice system. Um and also you couldn't make money off Joker if he was dead. Um That's the real problem. That's the real reason. <laughs> but I I think if Batman wants to be a help he needs to not kill and he needs to save the person in front of him i think that that that's absolutely what batman as a vigilante should be doing now if batman was something else his job would be different but he is a self-appointed uh rescuer of the people and not judge duty judge judy and executioner you mean as they so, say in you mean someone like a ghost maker well, Ghostmaker got converted to Batman's way of thinking. Yeah, so, right. yeah, right. yeah, we'll see how long that lasts. Okay. <laughs> like anyone's going to use Ghostmaker. Come, let's be real. For sure. I I think that one line that and and first of all, I want to apologize for reading such a long review, but I felt it was it was necessary considering the content you know as as ian said there was just a lot of stuff a mm -hmm. lot of good stuff that really that really took place in in this book and but that one line that you know i kept repeating several times in the review that appeared several times in the story you know really really makes a point and it and it it shows two things you know we're kind of looking at kind of looking at you know the idea of saving you know not just saving the, the citizens of gotham but you know helping those that they capture but what it also shows you know that line of of, of saving the patient in front of you uh really shows that even as a veteran in the world of of superheroes in the world of vigilante you know bruce is still growing and learning you know because all this time he had he had a different idea of what that line from his dad meant and it took you know it took dick grayson you know playing his role as the light to batman darkness to get him to see that other side to what his dad was really trying to point out to him that, you know, sometimes, you know, it may not mean saving the old lady crossing the street. It may it may mean redeeming Victor Freeze or um, Basil and, and, you know, some of the other roles that we've seen that kind of turned over a new leaf. Uh, and so. Do does that mean, you know. Batman is going to completely turn over and, and redo how he, be, how he, how he plays the role of, of Gotham's guardian. I don't know. I doubt it. 
or if it does, it's not going to last for long. But it's good to see that he's still growing in his role as Batman and and Dick still has his place uh, with with Batman being the moral ground that, you know, Alfred always had, you know, but that Dick, you know, being that first sidekick always had as well. I'm really glad you said that about Batman because I had the exact same thought and I forgot to share it. And so I'm glad you did. Because if Batman was today what he was in 1940-whatever, 39... Oh, gosh, <laughs> this was not be a good book. And so this is like another evolution of Batman. And I think it's definitely oh, you, mean, you mean when he had guys hanging from the helicopter and and he had a gun uh, and yeah. he saw a cat woman and said, Daddy Spank. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Carry on. <laughs> that is such a uh, memorable line. It's so awful. <laughs> it is. It is. It's extremely awful. Oh god! All right, Bob Kane. That so, was awesome. Nah. Um. I would say I I really agree with my co-hosts here. I think it's it's got really good thoughts, and I'm not sure there is an answer. I was actually just talking to my parents about this. That it's not possible to create a world where nobody hurts other people. So, yeah. okay. So I got to ask before, before you, so were you talking specifically about the comic or just the question? Um, actually about other things, just, oh. you know, cause I was going to say, like, if you, if you and your parents can have conversations about comic books, I want your parents to adopt me. <laughs> <laughs> they, my mother thinks that I'm wasting my time. Um, <laughs> But I really liked what Batman said about because Nightwing suggests why don't we send these people to other cities that have better mental health? And Batman says we cannot just export our problems. We can't move our problems somewhere else so we don't have to deal with them. And that's a really big problem today. Uh, The Mm -hmm. phenomenon of not in my backyard or nimbyism is so prevalent. We just push the undesirable elements out of city. And when I say elements, I mean people. We just push people <laughs> out of our cities to other cities that have to deal with them. Yeah. And um so this this comic really made me think and it didn't offer like preachy answers. It didn't yeah. it didn't say if you follow my political agenda everything will be fine. It just said these are hard questions that And I'm so be. happy it did not do that. Yeah, yeah, me too, because it means that this comic won't be dated by, oh, well, that was written during ex-politicians <laughs> campaign. No, this mm-hmm. is just grappling with real hard issues. And I think that's one of the things that Batman comics can do is make us look at our city. Like, that line, like, I've struggled with this in my own views because, like, I understand the impulse to not want people, you know, leaving trash all over your lawn or peeing on your sidewalks. Like, just lock them away for life. Or, like I said, send them to another city. But that doesn't change the problem. Just someone else has to deal with it. And so I really appreciate that. That was just a really thoughtful line, and I appreciate that. Um, So, next question. What do you think of David Lapham's art? Because the last time we saw David Lapham in a major way was the Huntress story, which was all about the parasites. It was very gross. This was much less gross. It was very clean-lined looking to me. I actually really appreciate the art. What did you guys think? So... I looked at that first page and I suddenly was like, is this 
Matt Wagner's son again. Is this Batman 54 the issue that could have been the best issue of all time and instead was awful? <laughs> uh, but no. So uh, it wasn't my favorite. It was too, the lines are too chunky and the art style just isn't my favorite. But I got more used to it as I read through it and it's it's actually not that bad by the time I got to the end. It's just, just it's like they try to put in too much detail for the size of inking they did and so it just looks really funny. You you would Yeah, do, that's fair. You were doing so well until you got to the it's not that bad part. <laughs> I said I got used to it, so it didn't seem that bad. <laughs> I so so as 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 the reviewer of Detective Comics, you know, I've been dealing with David Lapham and his art with the backup stories for the last, you know, two issues and the annual. And um I'm not I'm not a fan and I'm still not a fan, but you know the artwork is is creepy and I, and I and I take that word from a, another member on the Discord server who who's also not that big of a fan of Lapham's art but I think using the the term creepy better describes it because I was just it it the term that I was using prior to prior to the, the this last review was that it just looks rushed and amateurish and it's just not it's not for me and uh, and um, I'm, I'm, to my knowledge he's not going to be anywhere else in the shadows um event and i'm happy that's the case because uh, it, it's just it's, it's not for me it's just not that's all very fair but i i have a real liking for um a, a thick line a thick clean line and mm-hmm. i appreciated that um, I, I felt that the Huntress had too many like weird, gross bladder effects that kind of broke up the lines, and I didn't like that. Um, but this one was much more... Uh, you could really see the outlines of characters and the shape of their bodies and faces, and I, I like that. I'm a big fan of Rick Burchett and um, Sean Martinborough and Steve Lieber, who also have tend to have very thick lines. But, but um, if, if, you, if you think about it, and, and again, I'm going back to the term creepy and and thinking back to the hunter story it fit there because yeah it you know it, it was meant to be one of those not necessarily horrible one of those suspense stories to where you know you you have all these bugs you know that's jumping in and out of people and you have huntress that can you know have all these visions so it it really it really fit you know what was going on. So, you know, I didn't even recognize that it was David Lapham that did the art until you mentioned it just now. And I really enjoyed the Huntress issue, the secret files, but uh, it just, I don't know. It, it was too bright of a story, especially here with the annual. It was too bright of a story, too much light for it to look so creepy. If it was more of a if it was more of a suspense story, and you know something similar to Huntress, where it was a little bit more darker, it probably would have worked. But I mean, it it just it it it's just it wasn't my cup of tea. Interesting takes we've got there. 
What do you think of Batman and Nightwing's characterization and Thomas Wayne, like the three main figures, Thomas Wayne, Batman and Nightwing, fathers and sons? Um, I think I liked them. I think from what I know from Thomas in this rendition, it seemed fairly in character. And I, I just love when Batman and Nightwing talk because I feel like Nightwing is one of the few people who can actually speak into Bruce's life and change his mind on stuff. And it's like when Nightwing says something, he he listens. And so he's, he still makes it his own. Definitely takes Dick into consideration, and so I I really liked that. Um, my hackles went up, heckles, hackles, whatever. When I saw Chase Meridian, I was like, <laughs> if they make her into a love interest, I'm out. <laughs> well, remember that Batman's going to be gone from Gotham. Uh, I don't care. They find a way of ruining anything. Um, <laughs> but. No, I I loved them. I thought I thought they were all well written and well characterized and well developed, and they were different people by the end. Well, I mean Thomas wasn't because he's dead, but you know it was good. Yeah, the, I mean because because the 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 there wasn't much to the Thomas Bruce relationship other than setting up the main story. I didn't really pay attention that much to the relationship and, and also due to the fact that, you know, Bruce was so young. So it was more or less, do this, son. This is how you would do it, son. Whereas, I mean, the relationship between Bruce and Dick is wonderful. And, and Steph said it perfectly of the entire Bat family, Dick is probably the only one that can talk Bruce off the ledge and get him to change his mind on things that he may be 100% determined to do. And that just goes to that lifelong relationship that they've had as father and son, you know, that Bruce did not have with Thomas Wayne. And, you know, that, that is something that, I don't even think Bruce will be able to have even with Damien, you know, his mm -hmm. biological son, you know, because they're so much alike. Whereas, you know, Dick, without a doubt, is Bruce Wayne one eighty. You know, he, you know, they've, they've, there's always been this comparison that, you know, Robin is, you know, the light to. Batman's darkness, and that's from Dick, that's from Dick Grayson. That's not from any other Robin. And while you may have some of that with Tim, it is on. It is. It is nowhere near the level of the relationship between uh, Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson because it's it's so established, and I absolutely love it. Yeah, I think that it was really nice seeing this three generations of fathers and sons. And um, I, I think I was just really kind of disturbed and frustrated by the portrayals of Thomas Wayne in Batman Damned and a couple other, a couple other uh, stories uh, in the, 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 the Telltale video game where Thomas Wayne is like evil, like really bad in league with the crime and victimizing people. 
And so seeing Thomas Wayne as a positive force, a force for good in Batman's life as a boy, something that set his morals and that he can still learn from as a man, I really appreciate that because I don't like it when they make him evil. I don't like it when they make Martha evil or or Thomas evil. So I'm just... I can't believe you brought up Batman, damn. <laughs> it it made a big impression on me, okay? In a good way it or It made a, a big way? impression on everybody. In in a very bad way. <laughs> I am not a fan of Batman Damned. Um, the only people who are a fan of Batman Damned are people who sell on eBay. <laughs> and who title the, terrible who, things like Bat Away. Who has the right? Ver, who has the right version or the wrong? Ver, <laughs> the, the wrong version. How, whichever way you want to look at it. All right, so that covers all my questions. I mean, we all had uh, sort of lengthier things that sort of got into the things that my other questions were going to deal with. So let's get to our um, rating. We're going to do out of five bone wings from the serial killer in this episode. So out of five bone wings, what would you give Detective Comics Annual 2021? You know what? This was a detective story. We didn't really talk about that, but like throughout this thing, they're actually detecting and figuring things out and going to places based on clues that they've discovered. And it's a personal story and it's a backstory. And it's like, I, this is my favorite type of story. It's like, you're still moving along a present day story, but it involves the life and opinions and and just growth of the main characters like this story was other than the art this story was i think almost flawless as a batman detective story i would i'm tempted to give this a four and a half like i think this was an amazing story and yes the art was kind of eh, but you know what there was parts of the story that were meant to be icky like those bone wings and that bone man they are not a happy thing <laughs> so in terms of that the art even kind of suited parts of the story so i'm yeah four and a half chicken bones or whatever it was so first of all if if if, if you all didn't laugh out loud at the panel where dick with dick says yeah, like like I really thought that you were gonna have a favorite chicken place. That was, <laughs> you know, I I, I pity you because that was I laughed out loud. I may have scared my cat half to death when I when I laughed out loud at that that particular panel. So, as we may have mentioned a few times on this podcast, I for one am someone who place a lot of emphasis on art when it comes to giving my rating. And to be clear, if I was rating this strictly on the writing, this issue would be a four and a half, four, seven, five. As, <laughs> as, as Steph mentioned, it was, it was pretty damn flawless. Um, and the fact that they had two writers on it, you know, that you could not tell who was doing what, you know, made it even better with writing alone. That's, that's how good this issue is. But I pretty much hate David Lapham and, and I just, I don't want to see him on a detective book anymore. And so 
my rating on the site was a three and a half. Like I said, it's unfair, but it, it, it's, it's what I gave it on the site. Um, on the podcast, since we can kind of do what we want, I will give it a three eight. Not even gonna do it. Oh my god! Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even gonna shut up. I'm not even gonna give it a three. Se- it was a wonderful story. I absolutely love the story. The art just, uh, I just can't get with it. And I'm sorry. And it, uh. so three eight. I'm gonna, but it, but I'm gonna say it's a a four for me. I like <gasps> the art, but it's not. Um, it's not the kind of it's not like Dan Mora or Jorge Jimenez. No. I'm just like the art reaches into my eyeballs straight to my heart. You know, this is just art that I think is nice. Um, so it doesn't quite push it into the superb territory, which is what a 4.5 would be. But it's really good. And this does get me more in the mood for Shadows of the Bat, which is this team, because, you know, Matthew Rosenberg is going to be writing the backups and um, Mariko Tamaki is writing the main story. So if this is the team, these are the kinds of ideas they're dealing with. This is cool. This is good. I okay. have more confidence. I'm growing more excited every every day about Shadows of the Bat. Because I started off being very like hesitant. Um, but I'm getting better. I'm I'm happy about that. Hesitant is being nice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You like um, you like, you know, this is getting aggravating. I need to know more. I need to know more. And they're telling me more. This is what I needed. All right, so okay. this okay. gives us an average score of 3.95, and <laughs> there is no mode, because nobody picked the same score. Let me, t- let me, let me tell you, De- Detective Comics has been knocking it out of the park since yeah. Mariko Tamaki has been on it. I mean, she has, she has really turned this book around, whereas, you know, in the past, Detective was the redheaded stepchild to Batman <laughs> and even to some other books, but it is easily the best Batman book that's out there without question, without mm-hmm. question. And this is someone who's again, was a fan of what JT was doing, loved what he was doing in Batman and, and, and bringing the universe to back together again. But detective comics is without a doubt best book out there. It's a detective book. It's a Batman book. It builds the civilian cast. It's like our wish list from two years ago. It's great. Whether you are a first-time TBU Comics podcast listener, a 13-year veteran, or anything in between, we'd love to hear what you think about this episode or any of the comics we discussed. Send emails to tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net. Join our Discord server linked at thebatmanuniverse.net. Send us a tweet at tbu underscore comics. Or, if you're a patron, leave us a comment on our Patreon page. We'd also love it if you left us a review on iTunes. We'd love to read your comments on the next episode of the Batman Universe Comics Podcast. Batman may claim he works alone, but we know that he needs the Bat family. Join the TBU Bat family and let us know what you think. And we're back, and we're going to start with our review of our second issue, Batman number 118. I am vengeance. I am the knight. This is the first issue of Joshua Williamson's run. The art is by Jorge Molina, and there's additional art by Mikel Khanit. Colors, as always on Batman, are Tomu More. Summary. In the aftermath of Fear State, 
Batman stops two thieves, terrifying them so much they run to the police themselves. Batman talks to Oracle, saying he's suspicious. Babs telling him to celebrate his victory over Simon St. Scarecrow and a new relationship with Mayor Nakano. At the Billionaire's Ball, where everyone dresses as one of Gotham's villains, the real Firefly attacks. Batman comes to the rescue disguised as Killer Croc in a nod to the classic animated series episode Almost Got Him. After saving the day from Firefly and some other villains dressed up as A-listers, a tiny girl dressed as Punchline asks for his autograph. Oracle once again tries to get Batman to celebrate, but he sees a notice that Batman Incorporated, including Man of Bats, El Gaucho, Batman of China, the Dark Ranger, and the Hood, murdered a new villain, Abyss, in the South Asian country of Badnesia. Bruce flies there in the Batwing, then meets a detective investigating the crime scene as Batman, and discovers that Batman Inc. turned to Lex Luthor when Bruce Wayne lost the bulk of his fortune in the Joker War. Uh, again, there is no backup. These are oversized issues. One's an annual, and this is the first issue of a run, so they sort of wanted to get him all the way through. First question, why is Firefly evil again? He was just good in Catwoman. I do, what is going on? Well, aren't there more there more this more than one Firefly? English? There's more than yeah, one Firefly, but, isn't there? So the other Firefly is a girl, and the Firefly and Catwoman and this Firefly are both guys. So it's not the other Firefly. Well, whatever. So was, is that really your so, first question? I, I, I is, so, I'm really annoyed. I'm annoyed. I was annoyed by that too, but I mean I'm I'm happy Croc is still Croc. That wasn't Croc, well, that was it wasn't Batman. Croc, it was Batman. Don't know, that was Croc. <laughs> no, that was Batman. I know it was Batman, but that was Croc. <laughs> okay. But but I I I don't know. It's just so first of all, we don't know how far along we we've we've moved from Fair State into It's not the, very long because there's no talking long. about it. Yeah. But it's just I don't, I don't know. That was just so annoying because the first thing I was thinking was like, okay, well, is this another Firefly? And when, you know, like Ian said, there's only been two. And when I went back and looked through Catwoman, I was like, what the hell? It just, it, 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 it doesn't make sense. And, and. Come on, Ben Abernathy, you're letting us down. I know, I know that they will never answer what happened. So we'll just be left to try to figure it out on our own. It could also just be a wannabe because, oh, my gosh, those puns were terrible. <laughs> like, that almost sounds like someone who wants to be a supervillain and is trying really hard. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's not even really a Firefly. It's like a new poser Firefly. You could be right. You could be right. I just feel like it's it's sloppy to have a Firefly right after Fireflies and Catwoman, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. But to be fair, there's a lot of villains in this room that aren't really those villains. So yes. I think it would it would stand to reason that it might not really be Firefly. It's just someone taking advantage of the situation. That is a way you can get out of it. If you're I correct, like Steph, you I will dance. Explain to that in this issue. Because this is a throwaway fight. This fight doesn't this, matter. Yep. Correct. Yep. Because Batman k- kicks butt as Croc. <laughs> <laughs> um. Does the Batman Incorporated concept and the twist that they murdered a villain intrigue you? Not particularly. I'm fine with it being the next thing. It's kind of like Tamaki and when we thought it was zombies. It's like, that's fine. 
It can be zombies. I don't care. It can be it can be Batman Inc. going evil. That's fine. I don't care. Just tell me the story. Is it a good story? Are you telling you well? Now I do have hope for this. Right, because even though before we started, Ian and I were like, you know, not much really happens in this story. It's almost not worth covering. But the more you reviewed it, the more I realized, you know, the character moments are in here. Like, the issue does begin with the two villains being like, let's do a crime. And then they're like, oh, crap, Batman. And they turned themselves in. Like, that was funny. That was funny. And then, and then like... Dick is just wanting to have a fun time at home, and so he's, like, coming in the window with Starbucks, and, you know, the kids Breakfast. are trying to get Dad to come home to hang out a little bit, and he's not doing it. And there's enough character beats and moments that I have hope for this story, even though it's going to be outside of Gotham, not in Gotham Batman story. But I still have hope. <laughs> um, hopefully this whatever, Badadian or not, Whatever, Badinzinian cop is going to be fun to to be with, but um, and then Lex, you know, Lex is always fun. I have hope. They're not high hopes, but I have hope for the story. Yeah, I don't want to say I don't want to say much more than than that. Um, it was fun, especially the first part with um, the. The two wannabe thieves, you know, running out of the alley, you know, begging the cops to take him in because Batman is scared to piss out of him. Um, but I don't know the, the whole fire, the whole fire, fire, firefly thing drew me for a loop, and the idea of of Batman Inc. You know, just willfully murdering someone. I I don't. I don't know. Uh, yeah, let the story let the story come out, and we'll see how I feel after then after that point. But um, it was okay. I'm gonna be straight up. I was disappointed. Um, I have been lucky in that I've actually really liked both of the last runs of Batman. When a lot of people were frustrated, and I understand the frustration, but James Tynan and Tom King did things that really touched me. They, they really got in my heart and my my head, and I enjoyed them a lot. And this doesn't. It's not bad, certainly, but it feels like it's overstretched. Um, I don't think it needed to be a, a whole 30 pages instead of uh, your standard 20 or 22. Um, and it, it just feels like pure setup. It doesn't feel like anything that mattered happened. There's fun things that happened, but it felt more like moving pieces around on a game board than uh, characters making choices. Oh, wait, question. Yes. Why is Lex not dead? Or a Are you talking ghost? about when he died at the beginning of No Justice? I'm talking about when he was the, the ghost of Christmas present and he was giving out things to people <laughs> in his in his spirit form. <laughs> Was this in Urban Legends? No, this no. was no, this was in uh Bendis's this was was it Bendis's run? No, not Bendis. Um this was in um Snyder's Bendis run. Smashed. This was in Snyder's run, you know, with um them in the source wall and and what's the name? Yeah, yeah, back. yeah. When he was when getting, he like blew himself up and turned him into like apex legs. Yeah. And he was giving yeah. he was giving presents to the villains and that's how we got to the villain. villains whatever. Oh yeah, the offer stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um 
the I offer th- in now i didn't i didn't read uh what was the the one is apex lex versus the batman who laughs what was that called it was a mini series called uh something Theo won't read yeah I, I didn't read it either obviously but it was it was JT and I think Josh Williamson and they wrote it together and I think at the end of that Lex was depowered. I think I think that's what happened <laughs> oh, at that. God, Jesus. <laughs> oh yeah. And I'm pretty sure it was the Batman who laughs who depowers him because you know who else would do that? Yeah. Okay. Oh my god. Okay, let's not get into metal because I'm gonna go on a rant if I do that again. <laughs> you wouldn't be alone. All right. Uh <laughs> so uh, I'm pretty sure that sometime during that whole Justice League run and the thing between those, uh, he was depowered and he's normal Lex again, which I'm happy with because I prefer yeah. normal Lex to weird superpower granting Lex. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that Bruce and Barbara's dynamic, their conversation, uh, was engaging? Um, it's a little repetitive. I mean, it's just basically her saying, oh, you should chill. And he's like, nah, I don't want to chill. She's like, but you should chill. And he's like, nah, I don't want to chill. And I don't know. I agree. Uh, yeah. There's was a little bit of exposition as well, which was not entirely necessary. But Basil exposition. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know what the point was um, other than them figuring a way to throw Nightwing into it. To say, yeah, come on, Dad, and hang out with the kids. It was okay. It, it, again, you know, by this point, you know, it, this was after this. This was after the whole Firefly thing. So, um, wait, was it after Firefly? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so by this time, I was pretty thrown off from 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 the story, you know. And then we started getting into the Batman Inc. piece. Um, but at least it seems to be confirming the, I, the the fact that Dick and Babs are going to be living together. So, we Except that she's supposed to be in a hideout with the girls, but whatever. Well, no, she said she's going no. back and forth. So Yeah, she said she but she said she said she was she was shacking it up with with Dick, but she'll be she'll be back and forth. Yep. Yep. All right. Did you notice the switch in artists? Because a lot of people said they could really tell the difference between Jorge Molina and Mikel Janine. But I got to admit, I couldn't see the change. It felt like a single artist to me. It really did. The coloring is so gorgeous on this. It's It's like a painting. Yeah, it it almost doesn't even matter who did the art. Like The art's great all the way through, but the 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 colors is definitely what sets this apart. MVP Tomumore. See, people sure. seem people seem to some people seem to not understand the importance of good coloring to mm-hmm. an artist and or in this case artists with an with an S. You know, because I couldn't tell the difference between, you know, the artists either. But that can only happen if you have a great anchor and a great colorist who can really bring those those pencils to life. I mean, in my, you know, Moray is, is one of my top two 
colorist, with the best being Jody Belair. Um, but no, I couldn't I couldn't tell the difference either. And that's only in my opinion, that's only due to how good the coloring is on these pages. Yep. Yep. It was it's a really lovely issue. It's just such a beautiful issue. That that art is definitely going to raise my score because it would be kind of low otherwise. <laughs> and that actually is my last question because we don't have a backup. So, out of five tiny punchline cosplay girls, what would you rate Batman number 118? Mm, I will say three and a half punchline cosplay girls because the art again absolutely fantastic stories a little weak but you know what for me the character moments really did hit home and i appreciated them a lot i'm going to i'm going to give it a three two five it wasn't it wasn't quite a three five for me um just because the the story wasn't as good as i thought it could have been uh, the art was great, but the story was really kind of lackluster. So I, I probably could have gone lower, but the the art saved the issue for me. I'm going to say a three. Um, I really was just let down by the story. Um, and I was really excited about the concept. And maybe that excitement is part of the problem. I love Batman Inc. I, I love these characters. I love the idea of getting to see them. Maybe when we get to actually see them, I'll be more, uh, you know, engaged. But just seeing them in flashback murdering some dude, I'm just like, this is a waste of this awesome concept. I'm not here for it. The art brings it up because this would have been below average for me. And this brings it up to just above average. Uh, but there's a three, which means that our average score is a 3.44. And we don't have a, a mode again, which makes me sad. But you in this mode. What was it on the site? Uh, oh, on the site it was a four, which is why it's a three point four four. Otherwise, it would have probably uh-huh. been below a three five. You in this mode thing, man? I like you modes. It's been one of my favorite parts of math ever. <laughs> one of my favorite parts oh. of math, never. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're more normal than me, but and and I say that as someone who got a thirty one math ACT. Nice. Um, Ian, was that was that a statistics joke, or did you not mean to do that? It was uh, accidental. Because you you called him normal, which is it is the mode a normal curve. Anyway, sorry. (laughs) Me and my math minor are just going to crawl into a corner. We have major. I really don't know how to take that, Steph. What part of the curve am I on, Steph? You are an outlier, my friend. You are fantastic. Okay. As long as you're not on the curve. As long as it's not a bell curve. You're not under the bell curve. You're an outlier on the bell curve. Thank you. Yeah, you want to be either on the bottom or at the top of a bell curve. No, you don't want to be at the bottom. I don't want to be at the bottom of the bell curve. You want to be at the top. Well, okay. When I say <laughs> it bottom... depends what the bell curve is for. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, I'm thinking of a bell curve of just differences, not like top and bottom, like an IQ bell curve. Oh, I was thinking like jerks and not yeah. jerks. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I was not thinking that way. People, people oh. who should get F who ends up with C that type of bell curve. Um, I'm talking about the guy getting his PhD right now, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway. <laughs> I'm going to shut up to right now. <laughs> and um, we're covering 
a very trimmed Greater Gotham because we've got some really long books to cover and I want to have a fair discussion of them all. Um, the first one, I want to get this out of the way because I know we're going to have some contention here, is Batgirls number one. Came out today. I am looking, as I speak, at the Joshua Williamson cover that came in the mail today and I am beholding it with great love. Did but Joshua, I know that wait, not wait, everyone Wait, 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 Joshua Williams did a cover? Yeah. Uh, Middleton, Middleton. Oh, <laughs> what did they, wait, 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 when did he learn how to draw? <laughs> oh, it's like a Tom King cover. <laughs> I, I, so I have a Tom King cover. Don't, don't, it's a masterpiece. Don't go there. <laughs> it's still stick, it just figures. Like stick figures. No, actually, mine is uh, on the Batman Elmer Fudd, so it's just a big smiley face. Oh, that's right. He does that to those <laughs> Elmer Fudds. Um, I, I will give it, are we doing ratings yet? Or just, um, this is thumbs thoughts. up, thumbs down or neutral or abstain. Okay. Um, I will give it a neutral, but I don't hate it. I'm not like Theo, <laughs> but I do fully see Theo's upcoming point of view rant. Um, Steph is a little too childish for someone who's supposed to be a serious superhero, um, I think they're trying to make her ch- chipper and bright and youthful, and they're definitely doing that. But I don't think she sees the seriousness of life around her, and I think that's not a good thing either. There needs to be a good middle ground. Uh, Cass, I think, is fine. I don't see a problem with Cass. Barb is fine, and that's two out of three. And Steph's not bothering me, again, as much as she's bothering Theo, but I definitely see Theo's point. Carry on with your <laughs> battle of opinions. <laughs> how, how, how much time do I have? Really? How oh, much? I want to go to bed, uh, so uh, not too long. at three minutes. Ugh. Two thumbs way down. I hate it. And and let me let me let me let me place full disclosure. I ordered six different copies of <laughs> this issue. Actually, seven. I just ordered the uh, Dan Moore cover. That Mar- that cover is really pretty. And I ordered it. I ordered it for two reasons. One, because the covers are just so damn beautiful. Um, but two, despite how bad this story is, despite how terrible this art looks, I want to support this book because we really wanted this book for so long. So I'm going to do my best to support it. That being said, the story is terrible. The artwork is terrible. It, it has absolutely it. The characters in these pages are, have zero to do with the characters, the same characters in the other bat books. It's, they they have Steph acting like a tween spoiled brat, you know, who just I I just can't I can't. The the art is terrible. They they they're all walking around like stick figures, and it's ah. So it should have been a Tom King cover. It's just <laughs> it's just. It's just not good. I am not happy with this story. Becky Cloonan, I love you. I saw you at uh, C2E2. 
it's it's just not good. I I I'm going to continue to support this book, and if things turn around and it turns out being awesome, I'm all for it. You all can at me all you want. Again, I'm going to support the book no matter what because you know Steph and Cass and Babs deserve that support. But God, I I am. And Ian will cringe when I say this, but I almost had um, Castellucci vibes from how bad this story was. It just <clears throat> and and the worst part is the worst writing, as Steph mentioned, is of Steph, and it really irks me that Ian. And, you know, we kind of had this back and forth on the server. You know, this is not the Steph in any form. If you go all the way back to Brian Camilla's run of Batgirl, this is not the Steph of that series. And this is not the Steph that we've been getting in James Tynan's Batman. It is not the Steph that we're used to. And this is the aging of epic proportions. I wish they could do this to John Kent with the way that they've de-aged him, not just art-wise, but story-wise as well. It is not good. And I'm going to give this a firm thumbs up. Um, I will admit that when I first read the issue, I was disappointed. It, it felt very shallow to me. But I've been listening to a lot of interviews with Becky Cloonan and uh, Michael Conrad and Jorge Corona. And I reread the, the issue and I took a lot of time rereading it. Uh, I really slowed down. And I think that there's a lot of things at play here. One is that Becky Cloonan does tend to write very young. Uh, Maps in Gotham Academy is supposed to be like 15. And she really feels like she's 12 to me. So I think that's just kind of how Becky Cloonan tends to write sometimes. I also think that there's two things going on with Steph's characterization specifically. One is that for most of James Tynan's run, and for a lot of the time, she is on her own. She is, she has to be very self-reliant, and there's a sort of edge that she develops when she does that. For the first time in a long time, Steph is being mentored by a big sister figure, which is what Babs is to her. And when she has that protection, when she has that person who can be the person who's the most responsible in the room, the person she trusts, I think she loosens up. And maybe this is just the way I am, because um, I'm an oldest brother, and when I'm hanging out with my younger siblings, I tend to try and be more you know, more of a role model. But when I'm hanging out with older people, or people who are my age who you know, have more uh, responsibilities or it's their house like i'll just loosen up and be a lot more goofy and so that's kind of the dynamic i see in what i think steph is doing there's also um a sense that steph is a kind of person who wants to make people get along at least people she cares about and she really cares about both bab and babs and Cass. and babs and Cass can be very at odds because Babs has really defined goals and she's very dominant in her personality. And Cass is like a rock. She doesn't move. So if Babs is pushing at this rock that doesn't move, you know, that creates a lot of friction. And so I think that Steph has a real desire to play peacemaker. And 
her dominant way of doing that tends to be being very silly so she, she lightens the tension that can develop if she feels like there's a problem and she's trying to like make the problem go away by distracting people and and playing up to them and making them feel happier or sillier or laughing um so I will agree that it is a different Steph than we've been seeing, especially from James Tynan, because James Tynan's Steph is very hard-edged, because a lot of James Tynan's characters tend to be a lot more hard-edged. Um, but I I can really see why that is the case, both from just who Becky Cloonan is as a dialogue writer, and also the way that Michael Conrad and Becky Cloonan are thinking about Steph's character in this new dynamic, because it is a new dynamic for her that we haven't seen since Brian Q. Miller's Batgirl. Um, I definitely understand where Theo and a lot of people are coming from. It is different. I'm not going to say it's not different, but I, in my mind, I can understand why they're making these choices and I enjoy it because I think up on a reread, I can see a lot more going on than just Steph having no thought in her head. I don't think she's a, a brainless, a fluffy head. I think she is doing a lot of stuff, and there's a lot of stuff going on underneath the surface that's sort of masked by the very quick patter that we see her uh, uh, just sort of verbal just dribbling at the mouth. Um, but I, so, so that's how I justify it. But I, but I, I give my, my interjection to that is to kind of use your words against you, or at least the idea that, you know, Becky Cloonan purposely and right young if that's the case she's the wrong she's the wrong person for this book because i mean even Cass at her age is not a youngster and you know steph is in between those two steph is supposed to be a college student and she's writing her like she just made her way into high school and if that's intentional she's the wrong person on this book. And that's just, that, that's, that's, that takes away from the character's history. I mean, to the age, to write, to write in that format, because that's just your style, is unfair to the character and to the character's history. You know, she's, she's, she's not a youngster, you know, and don't make her that way just because that's your style. And and I guess that I did, and I didn't. I didn't read many issues of her run in Wonder Woman, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty damn sure she didn't write Diana, you know, younger than whatever her age is as a Demoscarian. But it's if if she intentionally, if she's intentionally writing, and I didn't hear any of the interviews, but if she's intentionally writing them this way. She's she and Conrad are the wrong ones on this book, and there is little that anyone can say that will change my mind on it. If that's being intentional, you know, and it takes away, you know, it, it takes away from what they said in an interview that no, this thing was gonna be dark. When people started complaining, when there was rumors that this was gonna be more of a kid's book and there was backlash and they had to come out and say, no, it's going to be dark. It's going to be, this is going to be that. And now we're seeing that it's not. And, you know, again, if that's the case and they're doing this intentionally, they are the wrong, that's the wrong creative team for this book. If bad enough, I do not like the art, but if they're intentionally writing them 
as youngsters, that's a disservice. It's a true disservice to, to readers who have been, been loyal fans to, to these characters. And, and I'm actually, you know, it's, it's funny that I'm more pissed about how Steph is being written than the actual Steph fan. But I'm stepping off the soapbox. So we have presented to you our three different takes, uh, and we have all three different ratings. So readers, and, let us know what you think. And we still love each other. Well, Theo, I think, is, is wrong, but brilliant. <laughs> um, now we're going to move on to something that is going to be very interesting, which is the Gotham City Villains 80th anniversary. And I don't even understand how that's supposed to make any sense, because it's not really any of their 80th anniversaries. Um, and this had eight stories in it. Um, Penguin, Scarecrow, Poison Ivy, Raz al Ghul, Talia al Ghul, Red Hood, Hatter, a Mad Hatter, and Killer Moth. Uh, four of these eight stories are setting up future things. Uh, Poison Ivy is promised to have some story, probably in Harley Quinn in uh, 2022. Roz is leading into the Batman Authority stuff. Uh, Talia is leading into Shadow War by Josh Williamson. And uh, Mad Hatter is leading into Arkham City Order of the World by, uh, shoot, what's his name? Dan Waters. Um, so, uh, thumbs up, thumbs down, or neutral on this one? Overall, I'd have to give this a thumbs down. The Penguin story is weird. They wasted Dan Mora on Danny DeVito's yeah. Penguin Catwoman fan fiction. Yeah. What the heck? Let me tell you. So, my thumbs down is particularly for that story. When I got to the last page of that story, I wanted to take my tablet and throw it across the room. I want my I want the time back that I lost reading that story. That was just uh, uh It's another uh, level. And, uh, yeah. Uh, Penguin and, and Catwoman saved the world and just kissy face all over the damn place. Come on. No. No. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I mean, that's definitely a huge part of it. But it's just the way it's done. Like, it's a little kid wrote how to solve COVID. And then also the short, old, ugly, evil kingpin (laughs) gets together with the hot chick. Like, uh, it was... It was sad. And then the Poison Ivy story, or no, the next was the, what's it story? Scarecrow. Scarecrow, which that one was, Completely I mean, whatever. It it was kind of predictable, but also not, not literally nothing happens. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Poison Ivy one is gross and also just reminds you of why she's evil. And also just because she had pity on one girl doesn't mean she didn't kill a whole bunch of other people in a really, really horrible way. And the Red Hood story was stupid. And then Mad Hatter's story was stupid. <laughs> and then, oh, right, the Killer Moth. That actually was cute. I really liked the Killer Moth story. What would you guys think of the Killer Moth story? I, I would agree. It was probably the highlight of the collection for me, which is sad. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I'll, I'll say I really wanted to like the Talia story, you know, because of <gasps> the connection with with Bruce and Damien. But 
I don't know. I, I I have for some reason, and I don't. I have not been a fan of Dan Waters for some reason, and I I don't know. It's just it's not. I'm not feeling the vibe from him right now, and I'm sorry. Wait, wait. Are you talking about the Raza Ghoul story or the Talia story? The Talia. Because the Talia one says it's written by. Well, I thought that was Waters who did the Talia story. Waters did Hatter, I think. Hold on, let me go back to the first page. Williamson and Shamas did the Talia story, and I really liked the Talia story. I wanted to like. I like. like I've never seen little girl Talia and like her upbringing and her similarity to Damien. I really did like that story a lot, actually. So the. Killer Moth and Talia were my two favorite. Uh, the, the Everything idea, else. The idea of, of Roz telling his daughter, your mother is nothing but a bucket of dust, and she was weak and, yeah. Roz is a jerk, and Roz he's raising a, a jerk man. daughter. <laughs> yeah. That's why I like Guru Roz. He's a reformed jerk. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, want, you want Robin Roz, right? You don't want... <laughs> I want Robin Roz. I don't want... Existed for the last however many years, Roz. <laughs> oh my God! So the fact that Williamson wrote this makes it even worse. Ah, <laughs> no, I like it, but overall the book is garbage. Like uh, Theo, what is your uh, rating? Oh yeah, you said thumbs down. I also give yeah, a big the, thumbs the, down. This this was just this was nothing more than another money grab. You know, hey yeah, uh, and it's worse <laughs> because it's like I'm paying ten dollars for. Half of the book is trailers for other stuff, and it's not full stories, and that really annoys me. And they're not even good. Oh no, I mean, and they really, they really tried to sell this thing on on the DeVito story. Yeah, the worst story. And it's the worst part. I'll grant it has the best art, but it's so the story is so waste. He would have did better if he somehow wrote the story based on the movie. You know, whether it's some type of prelude. Or what have you, you know, or 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 afterward, and and you figure out yeah. that penguin actually survived, you yeah. know. But uh, it was such a waste. So, Batman: Fear State Omega, James Tynan's epilogue to Fear State, mostly illustrated by Ricardo Federici, but also pages by Guillaume March and a couple others. Thumbs up, thumbs down, or neutral. It wrapped things up. It wasn't bad. My big problem with it is that it's Batman talking to the Scarecrow like he's a buddy. (laughs) I was like, what the crap is the story? Why is Batman revealing the outcome of everything to Scarecrow? It was was really weird. I... I appreciate that they tried to do something a little different. It was freaking weird. Like finding out like your grandma's best friends with Jay-Z or something. I don't know. It was just weird. <laughs> Is your grandma best friend with Jay-Z? No. <laughs> okay. Because that would be awesome if she was. I don't think she knows who Jay-Z is. She doesn't even own internet. Wow. <laughs> oh, God. So... Omega, so on the first thought, if you would have asked me this, if you would have asked me this a week ago, or even a few days ago, this would be a clear thumbs down to me. I just, you know, initially thought that it was something that really wasn't needed. But 
I started reading it a second time, much like Ian did on Batgirls for some reason. And I need to do. And it actually didn't. It. It actually didn't seem that bad. You know, it wasn't great. It wasn't terrible, but it was okay with some of the. With some of the stories, you know, of how things are going or will be going after Fifth State has now ended, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Clown Hunter. And, and, you know, I hope Ghostmaker doesn't take him away. And I just knew that, you know, by the time we got through those pages, we would have saw Ghostmaker walking away with Jefferson or someone going to be in the outsiders, but that didn't happen. Uh, but in the end, it, it, it ended up being okay. So, as of now, it is a neutral, slightly leaning up. Yeah, like a positive neutral. I almost would give it a thumbs up, just not like an emphatic thumbs up. More like, yeah, it it, it did what it set out to do. I mean, this, this, for that. This, this is the type of stuff that probably could have could have been handled within the main pages. You yeah. could you could have this this could have been the backup story at the end of, of fear state. This could have been at the end of one seventeen as a backup story with the fluff taken out of it. You know what I mean? So yeah. I am going to be a spicy, um, disagreeer and I'm going to say thumbs down. Um, <gasps> and I liked fear state. I did. This is not because I don't like JT. Everyone knows. I love JT. He's my man. But this issue was completely unnecessary, and you know how everyone was like, well, not everyone. Steph made the very astute observation that Fear State Alpha was two dudes talking. And I didn't mind that, because it worked for me. This did not work for me. It's just two dudes talking, and it happens to be in a car. And I didn't like it. It didn't... It did not set characters on paths that I thought were interesting or necessary. And it's not that they're bad, it's just that you can read Fear State, you can end with Batman 117, and you don't need to read this issue, and that means this issue feels like complete filler to me. Well, it's all epilogue. Like, you find out what happens to But it's not epilogue Miracle in a way Molly. that makes me happy. In a way that... <laughs> I just... I, I learned nothing in this issue about where the characters are after Fear State. It's, the one exception is, like, the one page about Miracle Molly. That's the one thing that was slightly interesting. Everything Bella's, else, I'm like, I don't care. Bella's Bella's getting out of Dodge. Still don't care about Bella. I didn't like her <laughs> no, one shot. Somebody. I don't like her here. We know that Ghostmaker is adopting Bao. Yeah, but I thought that that was much better handled in the annual, which we'll get to. I really, I really want, again, I really wanted Bao, you know, at the end of that piece, I really wanted to see Bao walking away with Jefferson, you know, I, that would have been cool you know considering considering how him and and tim seem to have fit well with the outsiders you know in in Mm -hmm. in that backup story was that the back no that was in uh urban legends urban legends yeah um you know i really was hoping that that would have been the route that they would have taken but no they had to send them to stupid ghost maker <laughs> Maybe Ghostmaker and Tim and Bob will join the Outsiders. And I was, I was, 
I was more intrigued about the Ivy story in Omega than I was in the villain's um, cash grab. That's fair enough. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. I'm sorry. Um, because, you know, it, it, when she's talking to Gardner, you know, she makes it clear. You know, we, we've always had this question, you know, that we've debated and gone back and forth on over whether or not Ivy is, you know, hero, villain, or what have you. And she makes it clear. I am Ivy, you know, and I'm going to do whatever, whether it's good or evil, you know, I'm going to do what I feel I need to do. And I don't think, you know, she left any questions unanswered, you know, from, you know, from that conversation, you know, I almost thought that she was going to take her out, you know, for, you know, that, that, that little betrayal of, you know, still in part of her mind way back when, you know, but I enjoyed that back and forth between those two and especially um, Ivy's declaration of who she is and what readers should expect her to be. And then when you add the fact that Gillian March through those pages made it even better. So let's move to uh, Batman Annual 2021, the Ghost Maker backstory slash conclusion slash what's next. Thumbs up, thumbs down, or neutral? Uh, very, very neutral. This was, I mean, we find out his nationality. That was kind of cool. And you and see his, his face name. as a child. We actually find out his name. Yeah. But then most of it is just a finalizing of the fights. And he fights everyone again. I guess at this point, he's actually not fought anybody except the tigers, the laser tigers. But he fights everyone. His conversation with Batman was kind of interesting, I guess. So it wasn't a complete dud, but it just, it was conversation with Batman, and you find out about his nationality, and you finally defeats Miss Midas, and you find out why. And that's, that's it. Uh, it's a thumbs down. It's a thumbs down for me, but that's only because I am not a Ghostmaker fan, never has been a Ghostmaker fan, and probably never will be. You know, I'm waiting for him to turn heel again, and for him and Batman to have that one final battle, and for Batman to kick his butt out of Gotham for good. Life will be back to normal, or whatever normal life is in Gotham City, without Ghostmaker. You know, hitting on Harley and hitting on whoever. Well, I'm pretty sure he was hitting on Batman sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I I gotta say, this is a thumbs up for me. And it is nowhere near as good as the Clown Hunter annual last year. That is one of my favorite issues of last year. This is definitely not one of my favorite issues, but it won me over, even though it is clunky, it is odd, it feels unfinished in some ways. And the art's not my favorite, but I like the fact that we finally found out his name. Ever since the Victim Syndicate, I've been terrified that James Tynan is just not going to tell us names of characters, because I <laughs> hated what he did with the first victim. It's like, who's the first victim? Sucks to be you. You're never finding out. Um, and so he told us um, Koa's name, Ghostmaker, and he he gave him a backstory, and he 
built that connection between Bruce and Ghostmaker, which is really what I like. Like, I was really surprised in uh, Ghost Stories, the story that introduced Ghostmaker to Batman in Batman 101 to 105. I just really connected to Ghostmaker and his friendship with Batman. I thought that was really interesting. And this built on that. And even though with all the weaknesses, that was the core of the story. And I, I appreciate that. So it gets a thumbs up for me. But if I can remember, you were also a fan of the backup stories too, weren't you? No, I wasn't a fan of the backup stories. Not not the Ghostmaker ones. Okay, I don't know why I thought you were. I like the idea of trying to appeal to anime, but I'm not really that kind of guy. And so they didn't really appeal to me. It was very silly. Laser tigers. Okay, that's very silly. And we're going to round it out with the Robin Annual 2021. And thumbs up, thumbs down, or neutral on this? Thumbs up. I love Robin. And we learned more about Flatline and her whole backstory, which was kind of interesting. And um, some of the others who I don't care about, but now I know about them. <laughs> you find out a bit more what, uh, what's her butt is there for? Uh, what's her name? Ravager. Ravager. And I think she talks to him in this issue? I yeah, think I'm I, thinking think, of a different I think issue. the flashback has her talking to him. Yeah, yeah, which was cute. I like that they're kind of maintaining that relationship, even though, you know, Artemis for life, Ravager is not bad either. Um, and then <laughs> you have the epilogue, which features the grandfather that I like now. Yeah, this is this is this is a thumbs up for me, way up for me. I I, I and, and I know I'm I'm gonna say it because I said it early and, and Ian's gonna probably say it too. We actually got a secret files book, y'all. This is the <gasps> secret Darn files. Darn right. Darn right. <laughs> you, you, we finally get, this is what whenever we get a Batman secret files that just tells a stupid story, we need to tweet the link to this issue to DC <laughs> editorial so that they can clearly understand what a true Secret Files book looks like. This was Secret Files, and I absolutely, positively enjoyed it. It was wonderful. Thumbs way up. It was. Thumbs up. Absolutely. This book was fun. It gave us depth on Flatline. It explored uh, Ravager's motivations. It gave us a little look at Black Swan, XXL, The Drenched, and uh, a little bit more into Hawk. And so, like, it's what I wanted from these stupid secret files. Uh, some of the secret files, like Miracle Molly, great. Clown Hunter, great. Huntress, a fine story. But they weren't secret files. This is a secret files. This is what it should have been. And this story so. actually made me more of a fan of Flatline. You know? Ah, yes. In, in, in the pages of Robin, you, you would just, you know... First of all, the whole teasing of the shipping between her and Damien, no. But you know, it's happening, guys. It, it's it, happening. It, 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 you know, that first and foremost made me not a fan of hers because, okay, you know, if it's if it's not uh, Maya Ducard or if it's not the old lady genie looking little girl who's three thousand years old named Dejin. Uh, Damien doesn't need to be with anyone, you know, uh, and he doesn't need any side pieces. So it's it's <laughs> it's, it's either Maya Ducard or Ducard or no one. Uh, but the live wire story made you feel empathy for, you know, 
from growing up to when she was finally adopted and then, you know, basically trained and misused by Lord Deathman for the simple fate for the simple fact of this tournament. And you come to find out that he basically made a deal, you know, and did all of this just, just to get some, uh, Roth juice. (laughs) 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 But, but it made you feel, it, it, it made you feel empathy for, for flatline. I truly enjoyed that, but no, this was a, this was a true secret files. If you, if you are just, are you, if you're new to the Batman universe and you've never read a true secret files other than what's been out in the last few years, I implore you to take the Robin annual, get a marks a lot and write on there. Robin annual one secret files, because that's what you have in front of you. You have a secret files book and you should enjoy it for what it is. And that brings us to the end of our greater Gotham. Started in Discord, ended in Harmony. Um, <laughs> and just now wait. we have a little bit of li- listener feedback. Just wait till we stop recording, though. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt, Master Booth. Ringing your phone now. This needs my attention. Cortex says, Season 13, Episode 21 of the podcast was great. Had a lot of fun listening to it after a while. Episode 22 was super fun. I like that you guys went in-depth and everything. Heart. Well, thank you, Cortex. We appreciate you listening and letting us know you enjoyed it. Nice to know someone's listening to us in the Great Big Ether. I know. Sometimes it feels like we're just putting it out in the void. (laughs) I listen to it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I do too, just to see if I screwed up or stuff that I can improve for next time. Oh, I take that out. Hi, sorry I haven't sent a letter in a while. Life got busy. I'm trying to catch up on listening. I really loved the Gardener's Secret File. It really made me love Bella. I also caught the same parallels to Batwoman's Montoya, and I enjoyed how it fleshed her out as well as name-dropping Philip Sylvan from Black Orchid's origin story. White Witch continues to be a disappointing villain, so here's hoping that Urban Legend story makes me give a damn about her. Shoot felt very underutilized in Romvi's run, so I don't know what the point of having her there was, since she's not the Leon I actually care about and want to see. Celie's Robbins continues to be charming, if a little one note. So far, having Connor Hawk and Damien's Robin series has been a waste, and I'm glad he's back. I just wished he was interacting with his own family, if that makes sense. Bring back Mia Darden. Dearden? Dearden? Yeah, Dearden. she's speedy in the pre-Flashpoint pre, uh, universe. Okay. Sorry, this isn't a GA universe podcast. Anyway, super excited for Batgirls. Those variants are adorable and amazing. This is going to kill my wallet, especially since I... S- Especially since Ian sent me that interview Clunan did with CBR where she mentioned the possibility of Bet Kane showing up, which I would 100% adore. And that Miracle Molly scene in Batman was so sweet. I love the hug. I know she's an adult, but can Bruce adopt her? Keep making awesome content, and thank you, Steph, for editing. Sincerely, Sue slash Liz. P.S. I acquired a little Gotham trade, and it's adorable. Batgirl Volume 4. Wanted also arrived with some Gotham Academy trades, so these last few weeks have rocked. Well, thank you, Sue. Can I just throw out there that um, if Bruce Wayne attempts to adopt any other kids that 
young Damian Wayne will be back from the Lazarus tournament quicker than uh, you've ever seen him move before. Because that <laughs> Why, cuts, to greet all his new siblings? No, to take him out for get, cutting into his inheritance. He would not. You're talking about Damian Wayne. <laughs> um, it sounds like you've got some great reading ahead of you. And I, I really appreciate all those comments. I definitely have been enjoying Seely's Robins. And I, I tend to agree. I wish Connor Hawk had a Green Arrow book so we could really you know, delve into him as it feels like he doesn't quite have enough room in Robbins, even though I do like seeing him there. I really think they're setting him up for a book. I, I, it feels like that, but we don't have an announcement yet. So I'm like, where, where is it? We have our Aquaman book. Where, where's, where's Green Arrow? But I will say you, if you haven't finished it yet, you will love Little Gotham. Little Gotham. Yes. Is, is oh, yes. That is a great I am level. so disappointed. I went to C2E2 with the hopes of meeting Dustin Wynn. Uh, but and he, he canceled the snow, wasn't it? He canceled a few days before. Yeah. yeah. That's always um, sucky. Did, so we, sucky. did we do a Patreon cast or a special cast for Little Gotham? Because over COVID, we did a bunch of old trades. I think that was one of our regular casts that we did because there was no new content. I'm pretty That's sure what? we did that as a, a full regular cast. I think we did. You should check that out. I mean, that was one of my favorite casts to do. It was and really even if fun. it was, even if it was a pay, a Patreon cast, you ought to join Patreon and you ought to join Patreon. Speaking uh, of which, well, hold on, me... I have one more to read. I have one more to read because I feel personally attacked by this one. <laughs> oh, this is Scott. This is going to be fun. Scott, who's calling himself Harvey on the Discord now, just said, "Caught up with the last podcast episode. Thanks, Admiral Wright, which is Theo." Uh, you know why. Also, the backups absolutely have to count to the overall score, both positively and negatively. I agree. I know they should. I just feel so bad. I'm a, I'm a people pleaser. And so when I read such a good book and then some doofus editor writer put in a crappy backup, it's not the writer's fault. But Theo told me, you know, and reminded me, we're we're judging the issue, not the story. And it's not the writer's fault, but it doesn't matter. The so I agree, matter. and I will try to do better at that in the future. And if she doesn't, don't add her. Because <laughs> I don't read my Twitter. <laughs> you don't read your Twitter? <laughs> no. All right. No so, one talks to me on Twitter. Um, speaking of Patreon... We have our Patreon Batfan Appreciation Wall, and we read that every time for a certain level of contributor. We really appreciate all of you, and so I will read starting with Lisa Slack, Ethan Miller, Gerald Green, Joshua Lappin-Bertoni, Rob O, Tim Garassi, Stephanie Mounts, Donovan Morgan Grant, Stanton's Grave, Donald Townsend, Ed Grouse, Brendan Roberts, Captain America, Mary Garrett, Austin Davis, Johnny McClaskey, and Cesar Diaz. Thank you all. We've had good conversations on various social media, including our Discord, which I do invite everyone to join. We have really great conversations about all things Batman, including movies and other um, Batman media, video games, and so forth. You guys help keep the podcast servers up so that we can have our archives, which is very important for next week's episode. I keep dropping hints about this. Um, and that brings us to an end of our podcast this week. Thank you for listening so much. I've been Ian. This is Steph. And this is Theo. 
and join us next episode for our season finale, the end of 2021. Oh, you're waiting on me, right? Wait yeah. On you. yeah, waiting on me with the Bruce Bath. Lean on me. Just because it reminds me of Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer was the second worst Batman. And Val Who's Kilmer was fine. He was Clooney? fine, but he was the second worst. Clooney? Okay, this is getting real sidetracked, so I'm going to start the recording. <laughs> wait, wait, I gotta get, I see, got an answer. Was it Clooney? Yes, Clooney's the worst. Well, no, well, that's not fair to Clooney, but Clooney, Clooney was phoning it Clooney, in. And- Clooney will admit he was the worst because he was, I mean, uninspired script, bad direction. It was bad. Oh, uh, yeah. Joe Schubert, uh, you... you he he should have he should have demanded that Joe Schumacher be replaced. That's what he should have done. <laughs> I don't care who. I don't care at the fact that Schumacher chose him. I would have went to the producers and like, look, you know, this script sucks. Uh, I say <laughs> you switch out or I'm out. Okay, here we go. <laughs>